Good morning. I am preaching some verses today that I have never preached as the primary passage before, though I have used these verses for cross-references tons of times. I think that the verses I'm looking at today, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, are so familiar to so many people. They're very well known. They are very beloved. They're life-changing. They're indelible. I like to call them the Swiss army knife of the Bible. God's leatherman tool, multi-tool. And some people use these verses like spiritual duct tape. If you've got a marriage problem, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Parenting issues with your kids, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Financial problems, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You want this, I can tell. You want to fight over it? You want to? You want? Here. I know. I can. Oh, I love you less. Alan, it's for you. It's for you. Today, by the way, is Super Bowl Sunday. If you didn't know, this has become a national holiday, right? But this day is more important for another reason. You probably didn't wake up today knowing this, but I did. It is the birthday of one of my five children who will remain unnamed because she... Now we're down to four. She asked me not to say her name during the service, and so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be a man of my word. I'm not going to say the name of this seventh grader with a beautiful smile and golden blonde hair who takes amazing sermon notes and gives them to me every week after first hour. I'm not going to do it. So this person whose name rhymes with banana will remain unnamed. Now it's also the birthday of someone who doesn't mind me name-checking them. John Strzeski. Now, also, is, is it someone else's birthday here today? Just, we've got to be fair. I know it's Rob Duke's birthday, so I know that. I'll give him some duct tape. John's arm is our sermon art today. And when, you, when you're so in love with that verse, you put it on your arm, you know that's commitment. And you've got a, a reminder every single day of the truths of that verse and those verses. So, we're looking at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and John and that sweet child of mine that share the same birthday, they're both birthdays, and they share the same favorite Bible passage, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now, we're going to read these verses in just a few moments, but I have a confession to make first. And I made this confession to several trusted friends very recently. As I was preparing this sermon, I realized my motivation wasn't so hot. It wasn't so pure. And what I found myself doing was trying to come up with the most earth-shattering, mind-blowing take on these verses that have ever existed. Like, I wanted to be the Peyton Manning of preaching this passage. I wanted 
to come up with, with the take on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that would go viral, and I would be known as the pastor that preached that sermon that was so amazing on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And as I was talking to a few of our, of our leaders, uh, Pete Roberts, one of our elders, said to me, look, you just don't want to be the guy that got it wrong. Isn't that true? I'm called not to come up with cool new twists on scriptures, but I'm called to highlight what God has said and to explain it and illustrate it and do it accurately and do it interestingly and trust the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So I just want you to know this, that I wanted to, to wow you with a Super Bowl halftime show of a sermon today, but my desire is truly to get out of the way and simply to trust God to do what only He can do. That He would make this passage of Scripture come alive in our hearts. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God. You've heard me say that many times. And I'm also well aware of something. You come to a familiar passage of Scripture, and it's very easy to kind of go on autopilot. Oh, yeah, I know that already. I know what it means, and I memorized it. It's on my arm. I, I, I know everything about it, so I guess I'll just kind of veg out a little bit and maybe work on something that I need to work on for later. There are things I'm going to point out today that you may not have realized about these verses or thought about. There are some exhortations that I'm going to give today that will probably challenge some of your assumptions and I hope that you receive it with an open heart you always do and I want you to know there's a lot of comfort in these verses there's a lot of assurance in these verses there's a lot of challenge in these verses and so I really want us to be humbled in the presence of God even as we come to a very familiar passage of scripture So I want you to open your Bibles. Please open them to Proverbs chapter 3. And if you are able, please stand with me to read God's Word. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. It's going to give us somewhat of the context. And I'll be primarily preaching verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 3, beginning at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we praise you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that you have spoken truth. 
And we acknowledge that we need you and we need your word. And Lord, we need guidance. We, we've come today and we have all sorts of things in our lives that are confusing us, be burdening our hearts, maybe have a question that is unsolved or an outcome that is far from being, being seen. And Lord, we pray today for your, for your will, for what you want. And Lord, we want to trust you. We want to do what this passage says, to trust you with all our hearts. And Lord, we want to trust you to do what only you can do in our hearts as we are exposed to your word, that you, by your truth, would transform us all for your glory. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now the first thing I want you to notice about these two verses is that they are located in the book of Proverbs. The name of the book is Proverbs, and I want you to notice a very simple thing. That Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are located in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is probably the most practical book in the Old Testament. It deals with wisdom for daily living. There are specific precepts and and principles and instructions that have a variety of, of topics. We've got wisdom and folly, righteous and the wicked, dealing with uh, the tongue and our words, dealing with pride and humility and justice and vengeance. The family is addressed. Laziness is addressed. Work is addressed. Poverty and wealth. Friends and neighbors, love and lust, anger and strife, masters and servants, life and death. You could say that Proverbs touches on every human experience. The theme of this book, you see it in Proverbs 1, verse 7. The theme is the fear of the Lord. That verse says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's a very sacred truth, that very significant thing that God says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One, as Proverbs 9.10 says, is understanding. So knowing God and, and the fear of God. It's very common to hear about the fear of God and think that must be the quaking, shaking, terrified fear that sometimes people experience. It's not that kind of fear. This fear of God is a reverential awe of who God is and what He has done and what He has promised to do. It's like a child who fears disappointing their father or losing his approval based on their disobedience. It's actually a healthy fear. It's it's a good fear for our spiritual health. So this book of Proverbs contains a lot of contrast between the righteous and the wicked and the foolish and, and the wise and believers and unbelievers. Now, there's another thing I want you to notice about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That they are 
not just in the book of Proverbs, but that they are Proverbs. Now you're saying, hold on, you're telling me all these things I already know. Well, it's very easy to assume some things about the Word of God and assume things or not know things, and that kind of tweaks our handling of Scripture. So you need to know that these two verses are Proverbs. They're in the book of Proverbs, and they actually are Proverbs. Now, what's a proverb? You need to understand what a proverb is. We, we talk about promises, we talk about proverbs, we talk about you know, God's laws, and they're all different things. So what's a proverb? First, let's, let me tell you what a proverb is not. A proverb is not a promise. A proverb is not saying something that will definitely be guaranteed to happen in a specific outcome. Now, there are some proverbs that contain promissory elements, and, but they're more general. They're not going to tell you who to marry. They're not going to tell you where you should live. They're not going to tell you all the questions that you have. They're not going to answer every single question specifically. So a proverb is not a promise. I mean, so many people I know have parents have said, you know what? Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I am claiming the promise of Proverbs 22.6 in my, in my son's life. He accepted Christ at age five, and he's living like hell now, but I, I believe God has told me that he will come back. I would say, you should preach the gospel to your boy. He might not be a believer. Because that's not a promise. That means that you should bring up your child according to how God has, has made that child and wired that child, and they're not going to depart from the way God's made them. It has nothing to do with, with their salvation. It's not a promise that you can hold on to and, and use it as a guarantee. You need to know these things as you're dealing with Proverbs or what you're going to hap- what's going to happen is you'll become very disillusioned about how God works. Hey, God said he was going to do that. I did my part. He didn't do his. Plenty of people say things like that. What is a proverb? A proverb, by the way, is a Hebrew word, mashal, which means a comparison. There's comparing things that that are similar or, or parallel ideas. So basically, a proverb is a figure of speech in which the author uses comparison in order to present a very you know, pithy and poignant observation or instruction. It's a timeless truth in the form of a simple illustration that exposes a fundamental reality of life. Proverbs are very practical. They are not theoretical. They are easy to memorize because of the way they are built. And believers are supposed to know the word of God and hide the word of God in their hearts so that we would not sin against God. They are immensely applicable to real life situations. So this question, are the Proverbs guaranteed promises? The answer is decidedly no. They are not. John MacArthur offers this perspective. He says, an area of challenge comes in understanding that Proverbs are divine guidelines and wise observations that teach underlying principles 
which are not always inflexible laws or absolute promises. These expressions of general truth generally do have exceptions due to the uncertainty of life and unpredictable behavior of fallen man. God does not guarantee uniform outcome or application for each proverb, but in studying them and applying them, one comes to contemplate the mind of God, his character, his attributes, his works, and his blessings. Now remember too, that if the Proverbs are all about fearing God and, and, and gaining wisdom, knowing His wisdom, we must remember that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3 says, are hidden in the person of Jesus Christ. So the Proverbs ought to lead us to focus upon Christ, not upon our own works or our own gaining of wisdom, but upon Christ the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom and power of God. Now, what is this passage all about? It's very straightforward advice. It's it's very simple. There is a very simple flow to the passage. It is not hard to figure out. And it has what sounds like a promise, and we will get to that. But the most interesting thing I want to point out to you is about how the words in verse 5 are arranged in the, in the Hebrew language, the original language that this was written in. It is arranged in what is known as a chiasmus, where, where the verbs are on the outsides of the phrase and the prepositions are on the inside, kind of like a, a little sandwich. Verbs are the bread and the prepositions are the filling, the meat. Okay, So here is how verse Five reads in Hebrew. Trust, and in the middle, in the Lord with all your heart, on your own understanding, do not lean. So trust and do not lean are the verbs, and they are strong. They're kind of the bread of the sandwich. And in the middle, you've got in the Lord with all your heart and on your own understanding. So it highlights what we should be focused on, Trust and not leaning. Okay, so we will look into that. Now the idea too is the context gives us some very pointed, accurate representation of where God is going. Look at verse 1. It starts, my son. There are, there are various places in Proverbs where the writer is speaking to a son and giving him advice. This is one of them. And it says, my son, do not forget my teaching. So there's teaching going on. And then he says, let your heart keep my commandments. So teaching and commandments, parallel ideas here. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Now, if you're going to take Proverbs as promises and, and kind of take them inaccurately, you'll say, okay, so if I just listen to the teaching and don't forget it and keep the commandments, I will live a really long life and I'll have a lot of peace. The idea is, the general principle is, you follow what is being said, you will be putting yourself not in the way of harm, but in the way of, in general, you'll live a longer life than the person who doesn't listen to the instruction and doesn't listen to the commandments. But what exactly is is being pointed out here is this. The writer of the Proverbs is saying, you need to listen to God's word. 
You need to listen to God's word. My son, do not forget my teaching and let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness, other words for God's truth being spoken, forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Kind of shades of Deuteronomy 6 here. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Again, take this wrong and you'll say, if I follow God's word, I will always be well-liked, I will always be successful, and I will always have, you know, everything I want. The problem is, there are people who have followed the word of God and in the world's view have fallen on their face and have not succeeded and have not had all the things that they wanted. The first four verses are, are speaking of listening to God's word. Now, the, the next verses, verses 5 through 8, are talking about God's will. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Based upon listening to the word of God, here, not forgetting the teaching, keeping the commandments, binding them around your neck, writing them on the tablet of your heart, trust in the Lord and what he says with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. What you think isn't always going to be true. What God says always is true and in all your ways acknowledge him know him he'll make your path straight and then he says don't be wise in your own eyes verse 7 don't think you know everything you're not the smartest person in the hemisphere and turn away from evil fear God and turn away from evil verse 8 it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones you take that wrong and you say if I do the right thing I won't get cancer you can't go there because there's plenty of people who do all the right things and get cancer So the context is God's word and God's will. And where we are today is about God's will. What does God want? That's why we're trusting in him. You could sum up these two verses. Listening to and obeying God's word leads to knowing God's will. So let's look at this passage. And and again, the passage is very, very simple in its flow. It starts with something you should do. Trust in God. It, It moves on to something you should not do. Lean on your own understanding. It moves on to something, something else you should do. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And it ends with something God does. He will direct your paths. Okay, so we're just going to follow this simple flow. So the first thing is something you should do. Right? Very simple. Something you should do is trust in God with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The Bible says that we should watch over our heart with all diligence because from it flow the issues of life. What this verse actually exposes is idolatry because it is spoken to people who don't always trust in the Lord with all their heart. They trust in themselves. Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Think about it. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. You see, trusting God with all your heart is not thinking one thing and doing another. That's being double-minded. Trusting God with all your heart, it doesn't just mean that the, the muscle in your chest cavity kind of in the middle to the left side that you can feel 
your heartbeat. It doesn't mean just that thing that we're all glad we have. Praise God. It's the idea of your entire being. It's interesting what your heart actually does. You can check your pulse on your neck, on your wrist, even all the way down to your ankle. Because the, the, blood, the, the heart is pumping the blood all the way through your body. Trusting the Lord with all your heart means everything about you, your mind, your will, your emotions, your, your heart, your, your strength, your soul, everything about you. So this, the idea is your entire being and every faculty you have yielded to Jesus. It deals with your heart, it deals with your soul, it deals with your mind. It's very personal, it's very experiential. It's what you're doing in life. You hear the word of God, you believe the word of God, that it is truth. Just like Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then you have this biblical worldview because you're, you're marinating in truth all the time. You're soaking in the truth. You don't take God's word and kind of push it, put it in your little bucket and carry it around. You let God's word wash over you and change your mind and change your life. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2 that God's word does its work in, in you who believe. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. Always for the glory of God. You know, in God we trust is on our coinage. It's on our paper currency. It's what it says, but it is not what our consumeristic ways reveal. God wants us to trust in Him with every ounce of our being being yielded to Him, and everything is in unison yielded to Him. So something you should do is trust in God with all your heart. And something you should not do is lean on your own understanding. It is very connected to the first idea. It's the opposite of trusting in God. The opposite of trusting in God with all your heart is leaning, very strong word picture here, leaning, like I'm leaning up against this right here. I am leaning up against it. If it falls, I go go down, right? You're thinking, that would be interesting. What would it look like? We're not going to do that experiment right now. But all I know is I'm glad this lectern is holding me up. I'm leaning all my, whoa, all my weight on it. All right? Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't do that. We do that all the time. We don't trust God with all our hearts and we lean on our own understanding. It's like candy to us. It's like sugar to us. We are addicted to thinking that we are We are right. We want to be right. It's the pride. There is a way, the scriptures say, that seems right to a man. And the way is the way of death. We always think we know best. We are addicted like we are addicted to sugar, thinking that we know best. And we will often seek out worldly wisdom. In 29 years of pastoral ministry, I have heard so many people say, I know what the word of God says. But I want to do this. And what they will do is they will gather a chorus of people around them who are telling them, you should do that. You deserve that. Based upon everything that's happened to you, go for it. I have heard so many people say, 
No, I am going to divorce, divorce my spouse. No, I am going to do this. No, I am going to keep hating that person. And they say, because you don't understand what I've been through. And so now what they are doing is they are taking their experience, their subjective experience of life, and superimposing it over God's word and saying, God doesn't understand. I know better. Leaning on your own understanding is basically saying, I know the Bible says I shouldn't do that, but I'm going to, and I've got a whole crew of people who say it's okay. We often, we often trust feelings and impressions. Those are words Christians use a lot. I had this, this feeling that God wanted me to do this, and I had this impression, and, and what they're doing is they're taking their emotions and saying, my emotions are king. My emotions are God. I know what God says objectively, but I'm feeling this, and I've and I'm, I'm just got this impression. It's like you want people to think you've got this wireless connection to God that he only gives to you and not to mere mortals. Don't lean on your own understanding. Lean means put all your weight on. Don't put all your weight on. On, on what you think? You're smart, I know. You're, you're very, very smart, but, but don't, you're not as smart as God. You put all your weight on something or someone. You lean all your weight upon Jesus. You lean on the everlasting arms of God. The first time I went rock climbing, there was rappelling involved. We went to Joshua Tree. I was in seminary. It was the mid-80s, and I took this easy gimme class called Interpersonal Relationships because you got to go whitewater rafting and rock climbing. They don't have that class anymore, I'm sure. I don't know what they were thinking in the mid-80s, but it was like, let's get them, you know, not thinking theology all the time. They're going to blow their minds. Let's, let's just get them relating. So it was good, actually. And, and, but, but I remember feeling afraid because I'm going to go up on this big rock with some people I don't know very well and tie a rope around my waist and jump off. And there's carabiners and pitons and the belayer or whatever person that holds it all. And I'm thinking to myself, what if this person isn't paying attention? What if I fall to a bloody death? And so I just jumped off because I had peer pressure going on. And so I did it. I hated it. Love looking at rocks and climbing and doing what have you, but really on a, on a rope with that high up and... Look, no. So I put my total trust in the belayer and the rope. Um, I want you to go to Second Chronicles 16. Go to the left. All right? And uh, you go, what? You're making me go to Chronicles. I never go to Second Chronicles. Hey, I don't have it marked here. I'm flipping through too, okay? Second Chronicles 16. Asa, the king. He was king for a long time. He did a whole bunch of stuff. And um, there's one thing at the end of his life that, that just is a sad picture. It's in verse 12. It says, after he'd been king for 39 years, he, he was diseased in his feet. And his disease became severe. And, and listen to what it says. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. 
Now, I'm not telling you, neither is God, that you shouldn't go to the doctor. God has gifted doctors to help. Now, here's the deal. What does this mean? Well, it literally means that he didn't, he sought help only from the physicians. He didn't seek God. What a Christian should do, what a believer should do, that's trusting in God and his righteousness and his truth, what they should do is say this. I'm trusting God first and foremost. He's put doctors in front of me that are going to be able to help me. I'm going to be wise and do that, but I'm not going to put all my trust in the doctor. I'm going to put my trust in God that he will use the doctor in my life. There's a big difference. Asa only trusted the physicians. So he only trusted man and not God. He should have trusted both. That trust the physicians to help you, but trust God ultimately. He didn't do it. And Jeremiah 9 tells us this. It says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Oh, I'm so smart. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Oh, I'm so strong. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. I'm so self-sufficient. It says, let him boast in this, that he truly understands and knows me. That's what you should be leaning on. Who God is and what he does and, and know him. 1 Corinthians 1 says, the one who boasts should boast in the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom and power of God. The one who, by his doing, we are in Christ Jesus. But you should not lean on your own understanding. But what this exposes is very common to man. It's fearful doubt and faithless pride. Milton Vincent said, Every time that I deliberately disobey a command of God... It is because I am at that moment doubtful as to God's true intentions in giving me that command. Does he really have my best interest at heart? Or is he withholding something from me that I would be better off having? Lean not on your own understanding means you trust God's objective word, which is total truth. And you do not trust your subjective feelings or impressions or emotions. You need to trust Jesus. And anything that you, any course of action needs to be able to line up with the, either the general or the very specific truth of God's word. Now your mind can play tricks on you. You start thinking things that are not true. You start getting somewhat delusional. You see things that aren't really there. That's why we don't always make the best eyewitnesses. I mean, right now, I'd be like, uh, I don't know what they were wearing. I don't remember what someone said. I, I just can't recall. Last fall, I actually went to a uh, UCLA football game. Speaking of victorious, I went to a UCLA football game on a Friday night with a bunch of guys from Grace Orange. And I had this great idea that we were going to save money on parking and, and get to the stadium earlier than other people. And so what we did is we went to this other designated parking lot a couple miles away and paid less for parking and then got on the shuttle bus that they provide to take us to the Rose Bowl. It was the perfect plan. Except, first of all, it was a Friday night, a lot of traffic, traffic in L.A. Secondly, our shuttle bus driver got lost <laughs> on the way to the Rose Bowl. Two miles away, he's shuttling back and forth all evening. 
He pulls over and he's like, I don't know what happened. I can't, I don't know. And then, you know, we're all on these one-way streets and things are getting all messed up and we're watching the game on our phones. Do not lean on your own understanding. Now, that doesn't mean you unplug your brain. Do you know what I'm saying? You have a brain, God gave you one, utilize it, okay? Use the brain that God gave you, be wise, but realize you're not infallible. God is perfect, and leaning is a big word, and all your weight must be on Him. So don't, don't lean on your own understanding. I guess that guy didn't have a GPS, now here's the third thing it, it comes back to something now you should do something else that you should do you, you trust in the Lord with all your heart you don't lean on your own understanding and now verse 6 in all your ways acknowledge him interesting word acknowledge in all your ways acknowledge him that word means to, to accept something it means to, to admit the truth about something. It means to know the truth. So you're admitting the existence or truth of something. You've got to admit that God is God, that he exists, and that what he says is true, and that he wants to guide you in everything you do. He wants to be a part of your life and guide you in everything you do. So you want to trust him with all your heart for everything in your decisions, in your actions. You can't rely on your own understanding for guidance. So you want to have an accurate picture. So you must acknowledge that what he says is true. The word of God is true. And, and God is going to guide me. I know a guy once that trusted in his own understanding when he was on a camping trip with a bunch of friends, a bunch of church friends and family way up in the mountains. And he went on a walk and thought he knew the way to go and he got lost for like three days. A man from this church and people from this church and people he did not know risked their very lives to, to find him and to save his life. It was a hero, harrowing experience for his family and his friends and for this, this friend of mine, this man. Well, it's interesting. When he finally acknowledged that he was lost, he could figure it out. For a while, think about this. He didn't know he was lost for a while, right? You're going the wrong way. You don't even know you're lost. Then you get that little terrifying thought, like, which way is home? It's interesting. I was, um, I'm very interested in, in what my kids write down. And, that girl whose birthday is today, whose name rhymes with banana, every week she gives me her sermon notes, and, and almost every week, this happened first hour today, almost every week she writes down D-O-U-B-T, the word doubt. A lot of people have doubts. This is different for her, though. We heard it once in a sermon at my parents' church down in Fallbrook. And the person that was preaching said, look, here's the cure for doubt. 
And, and he wrote these words down. D-O-U-B-T. D, depend. O, on. U, unchanging. B, biblical. T, truth. Depend on unchanging biblical truth. That's acknowledging God. When you depend on unchanging biblical truth, you are acknowledging that God is God as he has, and he has spoken and you need his truth more than you even need air. It's interesting, Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have each turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I love being a pastor, and I love the idea that a pastor is a shepherd. So in my office, I've got a figurine of a shepherd that my mother-in-law gave me. I've got a picture on my wall from my grandma of this, of this antique picture of a shepherd with his sheep kind of out in Scotland, you know, on these green fields. But from what I hear, sheep are stupid. The fluffy kind. I haven't dealt with the fluffy kind of sheep. I hear that sometimes they die from falling over. They'll just fall over and not be able, you know, I'm falling and I, have, I can't give up, right? And they don't have the clapper. They can know how to clap. And so what happens is they starve to death. They starve to death. Someone just told me that after first hour. It, it was your daughter. It was Rachel. She goes, I, I, I've seen it. When I was in England, I, I would be running and there would be these sheep upside down and they, the farmers would say, please turn them back right side up. She goes, I've done that. I'm serious. So sheep are easily prey for the cunning wolf. Come and try to snatch them away from... And, and Satan is the wolf. And, and Jesus is the good shepherd. We're the sheep. And he is the way, and his way is best. And it, by the way, it is my duty as a preacher of the gospel to, to consistently call you to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, you need to turn from your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and paid the penalty for sin and, and rose from the dead and is coming back. Now, if you are a believer, you need to keep believing that truth over and over and over again Jesus is the only way of salvation and when you come to know him you also realize he is your very life he's your life people think they know of other ways to get saved if you're here today and you're not a Christian let me tell you there is no other way there is no other name by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ Acts 4.12 tells us this you don't want to die from just falling over. You've got to acknowledge who God is. You've got to acknowledge His truth and just dwell in that gospel truth. Tim Keller says it this way, the gospel message should both humble and lift up the believer at the same time. See, we should be driven to the gospel because we read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It teaches us that we are indeed self-centered sinners. It perforates our illusions about our goodness and superiority. But the gospel also fills us with more love and affirmation than we could ever imagine. It means we don't need to earn our self-worth through incessant work, service, and work. It means also that we don't mind so much when we are deprived of some comfort, compliment, or reward. <clears throat> we don't have to keep records and accounts anymore. 
we can freely give and freely receive. See, I think some people think of acknowledging God as like tipping their hat at God and saying, you know what? You're my homeboy. Or let me give you a bro hug, buddy. That is not acknowledging God. Acknowledging God is being humbled that the God of the universe, who is vastly greater and immensely bigger than we can imagine or think, that he would even want to take notice of us and call us to himself. So acknowledging God is knowing and admitting that he is sovereign over all. He is good and that he is the one that will guide us. Okay, the last thing I want to point out about this passage is what God does. We kind of talked about it all the way through, really, but let's, let's pinpoint this for a few minutes here. What God does is, verse 6, He will make straight your paths. He will make straight your paths. The idea here is that He will lead the way. He will lead in the right way. He will light the way, even. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It, on, a, on a dark road, it, it's the high beams. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the straight path. It's the directed path. It's the clear guidance. It's God's will being revealed in your life. Now, I know plenty of people that would say, hey, wait a minute. I did everything these verses say, and God didn't come tr- through. He didn't direct my path. Because a lot of times the problem is, he took you in a direction that you didn't want to go. Because you went in and didn't trust God with all your heart. You leaned on your own understanding. You, you had the end result in your mind already. We all do this, don't we? It's common to all of us. We have the end result in. We don't do the, the heavy lifting of faith that God says is part of the picture. Trust in God with all your heart. Not just a little bit, not just half. And, and, and don't lean on your own understanding. We're thinking, we know how this is going to angle and work out. I'm angling towards the answer I want. That's not doing what this verse says. So you can't have the last part of the verse unless you roll through the first part. You miss those little big words. All your heart. Don't lean. You get this incomplete obedience and you think... What did God do wrong? I did it all right. Why isn't he blessing me? Why isn't he doing what he's supposed to do? See, a lot of people want the benefit of faith, but they do not want to do the heavy lifting of faith. You do no work, no ounce of work for your salvation. But the Bible is very clear that once you come to saving faith in Christ, you want to serve God with your whole being. Proverbs says you search for wisdom like buried treasure, like searching for gold. I think that's hard work. Paul says, I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest after I have preached to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul says to Timothy, you take pains in the things I'm telling you. You be absorbed in them, being, paying close attention to yourself and your teaching so that everyone will see your progress. See, God wants to direct your paths. 
God wants to direct your paths. You need him to direct your paths because you make your path crooked. So do I. You make your path twisted. You make your path warped. His path is straight. He's the only way. You listen to and obey God's word and God will reveal his word, his will to you. Psalm 37 says, trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will act. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit. Commit your way to the Lord and your plans will be established. That word commit in the Hebrew literally means to roll. You roll something away from yourself and it's not in your hands anymore. The worship team's going to come back up as we, as we bring this in for a landing. But let me just basically tell you that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it means to, to listen to God's word, to obey God's word, and God's will will be revealed. And don't lean in your own understanding. And it's so simple, but it's the hardest thing in life for us to do. It really is. Let me tell you a good way to say this verse in, in New Testament language. If anyone would follow after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, you do these verses and you will be yielding to the will of another. You do these verses and he's going to make your path straight. You know what that means? You're not going to get what you want. You're not going to get what you want. How about that today? You can say, you know what I learned from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? That if I trust in the Lord with all my heart, and I don't lean on my own understanding, and I acknowledge Him in all my ways, I'm not going to get what I want! Goody, goody! And guess what? You're going to love it. I guarantee it. Lord God, thank you that you are the answer. Jesus is the answer to the trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight question. Lord God, I I know we're always looking for permanence and things are always changing. And and we want to know the meaning in our lives that the inevitable death awaiting us does not destroy, as Tolstoy put it. And we, we, we find that Trusting Jesus is not this temporary duct tapey fix. It's, it's, it's immovable. You, the rock, the immovable, the immovable rock. So in our marriages, in our parenting, in our relationships, in our finance, in our, in our living, in our, in our working, in our possessions, in all, Lord, we just say we want to trust you, Lord Jesus, and that you will keep us in perfect peace when we trust in you when our thoughts are fixed on you because we can trust in you forever because you are an everlasting rock and that rock holds on to us and we thank you, Jesus' name. Amen.